You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm your co-host from bleacherreport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us as always from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, we are back after a week off last week during the Thanksgiving holiday, during which, by the way, we learned uh, some interesting stuff about our audience. We learned that people purporting to be pissed off about there being no podcast will contact me via Twitter, thereby signaling to me that they did not listen to the podcast last week when we said at the end of the show that there would be no show the following week. You know, I'm going to be honest. I didn't even listen to that part. Well, we know that you don't listen to me when I talk, but I mean, you'd, you'd think we would say on the podcast, no podcast the following week, and then it would clear up any confusion about whether or not there would be a podcast but no it appeared that there was just as much confusion as ever which is kind of weird when you consider that all you have to do is listen to the podcast listen and it seemed that people were not listening don't you try and turn this around on our dear listeners i'm doing a smoke screen this shit is on you this was a hundred percent you that's why there was no podcast i feel like i got pretty close to pulling that off no like i was almost there like we were almost just gonna skirt by nope i will not i will not sit here and let you blame our our devoted listeners for you completely blowing off the podcast, running off to Seattle like some some big shot. Well, not just to Seattle, hang out in the big city, but Seattle and Oregon. So, how's that? Plus, spend a night in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Wow, boom! So you're basically just big time in it. <laughs> I'm like a goddamn billionaire over here. Yeah, you're in the, the Lorenzo Fertitta suite in the Copacabana. You're the Dana White of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> well, that's exactly much. how it was. Just traveling with my toddler. That's what Dana White does, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Travels with his two year old daughter. Yeah, and they have to be quiet in the hotel room after 8 p.m. so that she can get some sleep. Well, Ben, this week's, this week's music comes to us from our friend Paul Federici, the Canadian singer-songwriter, who actually mailed us a physical copy of his new CD called Now and Then, use, using the actual mails a few weeks ago. Wow, people still make CDs? Yeah, it's right here. I have it. This, if, if people could see, they would, it'd be like we're doing uh, The Late Show right now. I'm holding up the CD so everyone can see it. Oh, yeah. It's a real thing. He likes to listen to the co-main event while he's out traveling the lonely highways of Canada on tour. Um, and if you like what you hear, you can check out more of his stuff at his website, paulfederici.ca, or get after him on Twitter at, uh, what's his Twitter's address? Is on the back of that, at the bottom. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, at PFED Music. Yeah, PFED Music. P-F-E-D. F-E-D. Also, there's a picture of him on the inside here uh, looking all pensive, looking off to the side Yeah, looking there. like a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Right? It looks like, like yeah, he's sitting in a, in a coffee shop somewhere uh, thinking about how he's disappointed his father. It's a great shot. You could also I really find... really wish you could see it. Oh. <laughs> you could find him at facebook.com slash Paul Federici Music. 
We'll obviously put links to all that stuff on our website when this episode gets posted. Three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, I mean, John Hendricks just going to go out there on TV in a polo shirt tucked into some jeans, man. You know what I'm saying? Wearing his fashion glasses. Probably not even real glasses. Know what I'm saying? And then in the other corner over there, you got Robert Glenn Lawler. You know what I'm saying? He's not even going to dress up, man. They're going to go out there and try to knock each other's damn heads off. But if you really look at it, there's probably not a damn necktie between the two of them. You know what I mean? Nailed it. And in round number two, Gilbert Melendez gets his second shot at UFC lightweight gold on Saturday at UFC 181, taking on ah uh, that one guy. I forget his name. They just went on a TV show together. I can see him in my head. He wears a shiny gold belt a lot of the time. I'm just blanking on the name. It, it'll come to me. And in round number three, people say Frankie Edgar fell off. How, Ben? His last album was The Chronic. It wasn't, but I see what you're doing there. It's a reference. All that plus Master Tweet Theater. Are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us from Luke from Janesville, Wisconsin, which just sounds cold. He writes, also possibly fictional. <laughs> that's, that's true. He writes, let's talk about Bar the Barbosa Green fight. It was just, was it just me or was Bobby Green spending more time assuring everyone that he wasn't hurt than actually fighting? I feel like he motioned to Barbosa or the crowd just about every time he got tagged up. Anyways, what do you feel is next for Barbosa? Uh, maybe a fight with the menace or the punk? Discuss. Yeah, I did notice that as well, that he seemed to be devoting a lot of energy just to reassuring us all that he was not hurt when he was getting hit in the face over and over again. Better thing to do is probably to, you know, redirect at least some of that energy to not getting hit in the face. I feel like that has the opposite effect that fighters think that it has. I think uh, it's worked for him in the past. Well, he did have that one uh when he beat Josh Thompson, right? It seemed like he was trying to make an argument for yes. himself. Like he was judging the fight and he was trying to uh let us all know that not a point had been scored against him throughout their entire rounds together. I think that that can work on judges. If it's close enough, I think that that can actually work. And I think it can frustrate some people. The problem is it doesn't work when that's kind of all you're doing. And especially like... You can tell us you're fine, but when you get kicked in the head and fall down, then we are going to not be so easily convinced. Also, when you do it to a guy who, you know, English is a second language for him, it's probably not quite as effective. Right. I believe that Brian Stan even said during the fight that Barbosa said if that if Green tried to trash talk with him, he hoped that he said it slowly because his English isn't that good. <laughs> yes. So he probably wouldn't understand what he meant. I just feel like I've seen so much of that kind of uh you didn't hurt me type taunting that as a an observer from the outside looking in whenever i see it i assume that he must have been hurt or at least punched so it's it's a it's a situation where i feel like that does not have the effect that you believe that it has when when you're doing that. But, you know, maybe the judges are more malleable. I, I don't know. In this case, clearly not. Although I did see, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw the video that uh, John Morgan from MMA Junkie shot with uh, Bobby Green where he kind of starts off by asking him, hey, what was this stuff you were saying before about, you know, kind of like making – retirement talk right, a little yeah. bit before the fight. And Bobby Green starts off his first response to the question is no comment. 20 minutes later, he has commented extensively. It's a really interesting kind of back and forth uh, between he and John Morgan. Um, but, you know, he brought up a lot of really interesting points there. And then, you know, there's we have kind of a follow-up uh, on the site with him where he's talking about how he still doesn't totally know uh, whether 
he's going to continue to fight and kind of feels like maybe he thinks he might have won that decision or deserved that decision, which I disagree with him there. But I do think it's interesting, and he's one of those guys, Donald Cerrone is another one of those guys who's talked about it before, how many fighters I think would surprise people kind of manage to get themselves into the cage on fight night by telling themselves that, hey, this might be the last time they do it. And they do that over and over again for years. Yeah, I did think that those comments were a little bit strange from him before this fight. He's only 28 years old, and he'd really been cruising leading up to this loss. This was his first UFC loss, and he had won uh, altogether, I think, eight fights in a row, dating all the way back to 2011 uh, in his first strike strike force fight. Uh, but, you know, he'd been through a lot of stuff, right? Like Bobby Green has uh, a, a, tr- a kind of a tragic personal story, obviously, with his younger brother got shot and killed and then uh, a little bit more recently his other brother also got shot although i believe he lived right uh and, and so um and it, it seemed it seemed i guess i didn't i didn't know whether or not to take him seriously but i just assumed that when he said he didn't know if he was going to move forward it probably would have had uh more to do with uh the personal issues the family issues that he had going on rather than maybe just trying to motivate himself but i don't know maybe maybe you're right maybe that is just the way that that uh he he motivates himself to to go in there and and you know even though i don't think he won this fight it was a it was a good fight and it was it was an entertaining fight to watch uh so it's not like you come away from this thinking bobby green is just done in this division like he's still uh i think got a pretty bright future if he wants to to pursue it and and carry on um let's talk a little bit about edson barbosa though uh just to finish out the second half of the of this question because more than anything else i think coming out of this fight uh I feel like Edson Barbosa kind of looked like the real deal uh, in this win over over Bobby Green. And I don't know if that was just a matchup thing uh, or what have you, but he has a, a very respectable, I think, something like 8-2 and two record in the UFC with losses to Donald Cerrone and, and Jamie Varner. Uh, but, but at the same time, maybe a guy who now is just kind of coming into his own uh, as a contender also at, at 28 years old. Uh, I'm going to expose my ignorance here. Luke from Janesville, Wisconsin, suggests maybe a fight with The Menace or The Punk. Now, I know who The Punk is. That's Josh Thompson. See, Who's I've, The Menace? I thought about this, too. It's Michael Johnson, right? I mean, because he says The Menace and you think Dennis Bermudez, but if, obviously he's in a different different weight class. Isn't Michael Johnson also The Menace? I don't know. Is he? Hold on. T- say something smart and I'll I'll get right back to you. Uh, Okay. Damn it. I really wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> You can't just sit, do it off the cuff. Let's see here. Michael Johnson, not the cornerback, linebacker, American football God, coach. God, why didn't he so, have to have such a generic name? <laughs> He's the menace, though, right? I'm pretty sure that's that's his nickname. But here see, we, this Michael is, Johnson, fighter, born 1986. Uh, the menace, yeah. Maybe a sign that your your nickname hasn't totally taken off, that we had to even just do this right now. I like that. Yeah, blame it on him. That's right. Not necessarily us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that, that Josh Thompson or, or Michael Johnson would be, might be good, good opponents for, for Eds and Barbosa. Um, yeah, I was just seeing if he had a, a fight schedule, but it looked what, like he was supposed to fight Josh Thompson, right? At UFC on Fox. What's his Wikipedia picture situation? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, come so on. He's got some work to do. Yeah. Step one, work on the nickname. Step two, take a picture of yourself in an awesome three-piece suit looking off into the middle distance. We, we got a question about Conor McGregor's awesome Wikipedia photo in this week's listener mail, basically implying that Conor McGregor's PR staff made sure that that was his Wikipedia picture. Well, which, good for them because yeah, that is awesome. Somebody somebody in MMA with an able PR staff. Yeah. Uh, 
Next question this week comes to us from Cesar Fernandez. He writes, I want to talk about star quality. Uh, Du Ho Choi and Paige Van Zant looked pretty impressive inside the cage in their UFC debuts, and they both showed some traits that can make them more relatable or interesting to the fans and media. Van Zant, her awesome, ha- super happy attitude, and Choi, well, just looking like a really polite boy band member. <laughs> is, is there a path to the top as fast as the one Conor McGregor has taken that doesn't involve trash talking? Could a nice and awesome personality help? a fighter's career as much as a mean and awesome one has proven to do i was thinking about this question before we started uh because uh, i think my answer to the last part maybe is no but it also seems pretty weird that uh at this point it seems like there's only one way to make yourself a marketable fighter right and that's to be outrageous and that seems weird to me that we haven't come up with uh like another way yet and during the entire history of combat sports, uh, for a fighter to really like have this meteoric rise like Conor McGregor has had, except for like being super bombastic and outspoken and over the top. I think that's absolutely not true. And I have one word that proves it. Fedor. Fedor was the opposite of bombastic and over the top. I mean, I think what we're looking for. Do you think that Fedor is a, is a valid comparison though? Like Fedor kind of came about. Uh, organically and slowly by just whipping everybody's asses over years and years. Yeah, like, but and, it was and, the combination of whipping everybody's asses and also looking like he felt no particular way about whipping everybody's asses. I mean, I think that that, that stoic mystique of Fedor, uh, had, had as much to do with the legend of Fedor as, you know, wins over Zulo Zinho on, on New Year's Eve. I mean, I think that what we're looking for in this fight business are personalities, right? Like we want something that feels unique and something that we can really latch on to and uh, feel like we either know the person or it gives us something to talk about with them. I feel like if anything, we're getting to the point now where uh, if you try to go to the Conor McGregor route or the Chael Sonnen route, you really only accidentally invite comparisons which might not be favorable to you because those guys are really good at what they do. And so good, in fact, that they sometimes make it look like just anybody can do it. Right, which isn't true. Definitely not true. And I think we're we're seeing that right now with uh, the woman from Tough, from Tough 20, who is being outrageous on the Twitter machine. What's her name? Angela? Angela Magana? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not working out. No, it's not. That one's kind of rough. Yeah, but I mean, I think that... uh, I think there's something to this, though. The, the point about – I like Cesar Fernandez's point about uh, Du Hoi Choi uh, looking like a really polite boy band member, which is a very good description of how that dude came off. Just like staying there beforehand looking like he had just gone through the wrong door uh, trying to find a bathroom in the arena and somehow found himself in the middle of the cage about to fight. And then he goes out there and smashes the dude and you're like, all right. As for Paige Van Zandt, I mean the super positive happy stuff – I mean, that in conjunction with being a really pretty blonde girl is probably going to work very well in MMA. Uh, but I, I do think that it's less about, you know, following this one little path to the top as, as far as like just talking the right kinds of shit at the right time than it is about finding a, a unique or seemingly authentic personality and one that you can keep up, you know. I'm not going to let you get totally off the hook yet on this Fedor thing, though, because I would suggest that. The difference between Fedor and a Conor McGregor or a Chael Sonnen is that Fedor established his mystique, um, although I will grant you a solid point on, on the fact that he, he knowingly or not presented himself as like an interesting personality, uh, because of his sort of placid demeanor. But like he, he got, got to the, to where he eventually ended up 
uh, you know, his, his legendary status, he got there by actually being the best heavyweight in the world and through the process of like, uh, you know, whipping everybody's ass to the maximum effect, uh, years and years running. I would say Conor McGregor and Chael Sonnen, Chael Sonnen got to the where, where he got and, and Conor McGregor is on his way to getting there, uh, without necessarily proving themselves as the best. Well, okay, with Conor McGregor, I mean, what, you know, you can't say that he hasn't done anything. Like, he's beaten everybody that they put up against him in the UFC uh, with Chelsea. Right, but he's definitely on the fast track to a title shot. Okay. Like, we'll talk about this more in round three, but I don't think that anyone could argue if he gets the nod against Jose Aldo instead of Frankie Edgar, like, he's not getting it because of what he's done in the cage. He's getting it because of his gift of gab. I'm not saying that the, that the Fedor route and the Conor McGregor route are going to get you to the same point with equal speed. I, I do think that you stand out a little bit more like you know jumping up and, and talking all the time and it gives people stuff to write about in between your fights so yeah that that does give you an advantage there but i do think that with fedor over time one of the things that really happened was not just that he was whipping everybody's asses but that he remained such an enigma to us uh kind of in a similar way that nick diaz has done it where uh you know nick diaz he talks a little bit more now does a little more interviews now but for a long time there it was whenever he did open his mouth you never knew what the hell he was talking about. He would go on these strange diatribes and strange tirades that seemed to lead nowhere uh, and just seemed to be completely disconnected with any sort of recognizable reality. And that, in turn, helped make him fascinating. And I think it was kind of the same thing with Fedor, that by like not letting us in, by not letting anybody really get to know anything about him, then it, it, it just increase that mystique so that we were really, you know, you'd want to hear these stories, hear other fighters tell these stories about Fedor just to try and get a clue as to what the guy is really like or what's actually going on inside his head. And I think that's one of the, like, sure, we remember Fedor for whipping all that ass, but we also remember him for being so fucking Fedor about it all the time. Okay, now I see, see, I think Nick Diaz is a better example than the one that you came up with at first. So basically I'm right. No, I'm not going to say that, (laughs) but we're going to move on anyway. Uh, the next question is from Matt Webb. He writes, Bellator seemingly treats the legends of the sport with much respect with Shamrock, Ortiz, Hoist, Couture, and Bonner, not a legend in the eyes of most, but whatevs, all there, all by their side. What impact does this have? Is it a clever ploy to show they are more fi- a more fighter-friendly organization? Do you think it will make other fighters choose them over the UFC uh, since the UFC has a history of striking down fighters who disagree with them, discuss. Uh, we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, and I wrote about it uh, on Bleacher Report when Hoist Gracie signed his brand ambassador uh, contract with Bellator to go over there. Um, and we were kind of puzzling over it, like uh, seemingly because he he seemed to cross the aisle and 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 take up with Bellator seemingly out of the blue. We didn't know exactly what uh, worth he would have for Bellator. We didn't know what they were paying him, anything like that. Um, and I think that, that having all those guys over there, uh, well, we can kind of take Ortiz off this list maybe because he's still fighting and recently proved himself to be still a huge draw, actually, with the ratings on Bellator 131. But I think with having guys like Hoist Gracie, Randy Couture, and Ken Shamrock around, uh, it's tempting to say it doesn't mean anything, but I think that, that it sort of subtly does. And, uh, I kind of go back and forth on it in my mind, but I feel like having those guys around, even though none of their histories in the sport are connected to Bellator, which I think is the weirdest part of it, it does provide Bellator with something. And it makes, I don't, and I don't know if it makes them look like a more fighter friendly organization, but it definitely, uh, 
you know, it, it gives them this, this sort of like, uh, history maybe that they haven't earned or like the surrounding themselves with this like, uh, uh, environment or this, this like mystique that like net doesn't, doesn't necessarily connect to Bellator, but still like having a dude like Hoist Gracie connected to your company instead of being connected with the UFC, which is the company that his family, you know, founded and, and he largely helped build during the early days. Like, I don't think it means nothing, right? Okay. I won't say it means nothing, but I do think it's easy to overestimate the value of being seen as the fighter friendly organization. Because I just don't think that fighters are making choices about their future based on that very much. Right. Fighters are making choices about their future based on who's going to pay them the most money. Well, and that, in the and I guess in MMA, the organization that they see as having the most future, which at this point is is and always has been the UFC. Well, and I mean, you know, fighters, you hear this stuff from all the time. You used to hear it from the WEC guys all the time that like you don't want to have to when you explain to somebody what you do. Or who you are, like, you don't want to have to start out by being like, so you know the UFC, and then be like, yeah, 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 I know the UFC, and you'd be like, okay, not them, but it's like that. Like, and I think Bellator fighters are still kind of in that same situation where, you know, nobody's really, like, in a gym right now hitting a heavy bag dreaming of being the Bellator champion. You know, that's just kind of something that you you might end up with. Uh, depending on where your career twists or turns go, everybody's thinking right now about how they want to be the UFC champion just because of that the prestige that that brings, you know, rightly or wrongly, whether you believe that that's an earned uh, allure or not. But I also think, though, that there is like you're right that it's not nothing like it is something to be able to have all these people around. Um, but it's also like, you know, you look at what's going on with Rampage Jackson right now, where. He's over there, and again, the grass is greener over in the UFC. You know, I think that kind of stuff is still going to happen. Like, you, you you can be the person who takes in all these guys, these these aging legends and stuff, but you don't necessarily know that that is going to be a uh, a surefire like future path to you know being associated with them, getting that kind of allure to rub off on you. Right. I hadn't thought of this before until you were just now when you were talking, but like as it pertains to having to explain to people what you are, that you're like the UFC, but you're not the UFC. I wonder if having guys like Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie, Randy Couture, Tito Ortiz around helps build that bridge a little bit. Uh, in a way that like if someone who isn't familiar with Bellator sees Tito Ortiz or Randy Couture on a commercial or tunes into a broadcast and sees Tito Ortiz fighting Stefan Bonner and maybe they're not even familiar with what Bellator is, they could see one of those people that they recognize and be like, oh, OK, I know what this is. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like when you were saying a couple weeks back that, you know, just being able to say that you're somebody who MMA fans know that, you know, if we know your name and we know who you are, that that is a very valuable commodity right now in MMA. I think the ratings that Bellator pulled for that, uh, that event kind of prove that, you know, they, they do kind of prove that that's still a really, really valuable thing in MMA. Uh, and it's not as easy to invent as just like having a guy win a reality show, uh, the way the UFC has kind of churned out those people in along. Cause you I mean, I could name you like the last three or four tough reality show winners, and I'm not sure that you would know them all. I mean, I could probably make up one and throw it in there and get it past you. Uh, but Tito Ortiz, I mean, that's kind of like, that's an established thing. It clearly still means something, even if he's not capable of doing the same physical stuff that he used to do. You know, we know his name, and that counts, man. That really does count. 
Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you might as well sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter that comes out every Friday morning uh, to catch you up on all the news and notes that happen in MMA uh, between podcasts that we miss sometimes uh, from Monday to Monday. Uh, as for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, hashtag the time is now. Saturday's UFC 181 kicks off a stretch of shows for the UFC that if they all hold up and most of the people stay healthy, knock on wood, uh, it could be a pretty awesome time for all of us. Obviously, the main event of this one pits Johnny Hendricks and Robbie Lawler for Hendricks's UFC welterweight title. It's a rematch of their fight uh, from March at UFC 171. Uh, and Johnny Hendricks is returning to the cage for the first time uh, after recuperating from the torn bicep that he suffered in that fight. Uh, Robbie Lawler's had two appearances since then. He beat Jake Ellenberger at, at UFC 173, and he beat Matt Brown at UFC on Fox. Uh, that was in July. So these guys are about to get together again this Saturday, December 6th. Uh, what reason do we have to think uh, that this fight will will end up any different than their first fight, which was close, but but you know won by current champion Johnny Hendricks? Well, here's one potential reason, and I don't know how much stock you want to put in this, but you said Johnny Hendricks injured his bicep in that fight. I believe the story was that he injured it before that fight. Uh, well, I know he came in. He told me when I talked to him a couple months ago, he came into the fight with what he described as a cracked shin, uh, which I would describe as a broken leg. Uh, <laughs> and I think that his, uh, uh, his arm was a little bit screwed up, but I think that, that he really fucked it up during okay, the fight. Right. Yeah. And I remember Mark Lehman saying that, that, that was not really that the, the strategy that we saw, uh, Johnny Hendricks employ in that fight. Uh, a lot of standing and trading with Robbie Lawler was definitely not their game plan going in and was something that maybe they've been forced to resort to because of the bicep injury. And so, you know, and when I when I talked to Mark Lehman about that, he was saying, you know, trust me, you're going to see a different kind of game plan the second time around. It'll be a different kind of fight. So there is one reason. And I think that that was something, right, that that was surprising about. I mean, it's surprising in the awesomest possible way was that you you look at that matchup on paper and you figure the edge that Johnny Hendricks has is in the wrestling department. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I mean, you look at the gains Robbie Lawler has made, you know, he's not going to go out there and totally out-wrestle people, but he does not get out-wrestled very easily, uh, especially not, not anymore and not at 170. So, you know, I don't know exactly how much we want to make of that, but then at the same time, what really sealed that fight for Johnny Hendricks in the fifth round? Well, it was that, that late takedown that actually using some wrestling there to kind of put himself over the edge, and, and that's what seemed to have, have won it. So you do have to wonder, you know, how much is he going to be able to bring that to bear? And then also how much is it going to be Johnny Hendricks gets hit in the face and wants to hit you back in the face again? 
Yeah, uh, and maybe it was just because of all of the the injuries that that UFC champions and UFC stars had during this year. But it actually kind of feels like Johnny Hendricks has been out longer than he actually has. Yeah, it feels like he's been out for like two years. Right, and so, you know, I was prepared coming into this round to talk about ring rust and whether or not that would be an issue. But really, he's only been out eight or nine months uh, since March. When I talked to him a couple months ago, uh, he had he had already gotten completely healthy and was putting himself through an entire fake fight camp. Uh, just to get ready to get ready kind of he wanted to test out his arm uh, and do a cut down to 170 I think to make sure that that you know he he could he was getting better and better at it doing it with no problem uh, and then um, that was right before this fight got uh, cheated up a little bit sooner than I think that they were all uh, planning on having it so I assume that he took his face fake fight camp and turned it into a real fight camp so I'm not sure that I expect any kind of ring rust or anything like that from Johnny Hendricks just being out nine months uh, and I think you you actually might uh, have hit it on the head there that if he comes into this fight uh, completely healthy and um, ready to exercise a, a full game plan, we might see a, a, a kind of a different fight because Johnny Hendricks could go out there and try to use his takedowns. Uh, but also, I have a feeling he might kind of get things done in more convincing fashion than, uh, than he did the first time. Or you have a feeling. Just something in the gut, something in the old Chad Dundas gut that tells you Johnny Henry's going to go out there and dominate this one? Just my hunch, yeah, man. I mean, on one hand, like, yeah, I, I feel like after after seeing them go and fight what would seem to be Robbie Lawler's kind of dream style uh, when facing Johnny Hendricks, right? Like, it seemed like you're kind of doing Robbie Lawler a huge favor by fighting that way, and Johnny Hendricks still comes out and wins it. You would think that it'd have to be in, in Hendricks's favor. At the same time, I feel like you look at Lawler recently and he just seems like so on point now. You know, like all the stuff where we used to see him and here and there he'd look really awesome and then he'd have a few fights where he didn't. And now it seems like everything has pulled together. How do you count that guy out? I mean, that guy can always just hit you once and knock you out. I mean, I guess the question is, say that does happen. Say Robbie Lawler does get himself a knockout here or even just wins the decision then do we have to do it again, again, brother? I think we do. I think we got to go trilogy. And, and let's be honest, we could do a lot worse yes, than okay. ha- having a trilogy between uh, Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks. Uh, and you're right. You never want to count out Robbie Lawler, especially the latest incarnation of Robbie Lawler that, that we, we've seen before us the last few times out. Um, and maybe I think that Hendricks is going to go out there and do it more convincingly just because the idea of Robbie Lawler being the UFC champion in 2014 still seems outlandish to me regardless of of how impressive he's been uh in recent appearances but yeah he could he could absolutely totally win this fight even though current odds have johnny Hendricks going off at a little bit more than a two to one favorite um does it hurt do you do you think i was thinking about this today do you think that it hurts uh johnny Hendricks at all or hampers his position as champion that he had this really close fight with george st pierre that the judges uh saw for st pierre but a lot of people think johnny Hendricks won it uh then george st pierre decamps to like go on his extended vision quest uh slash retirement um and so they don't get to 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 have a rematch that that could have potentially cleared things up and then johnny Hendricks has a really close fight with robbie lawler and now he fights Robbie Lawler again. Like if if Johnny Hendricks comes out and beats Robbie Lawler on Saturday night, does that any more does that do anything to further solidify Johnny Hendricks in your eyes as like uh the rightful champ, I guess you could say. Yeah, well, 
on some level, you're you're always going to feel like he needs a win over GSP, right? Just just because of the way that that whole thing ended, it's always going to be tough to say like, well, but what about if he had another fight with GSP? But at the same time, I think it does help him that it's not like an immediate re- it is immediate rematch for him for Johnny Hendricks against Lawler. But Lawler went back out on the road and got two very impressive wins and then came back and so I think that he brings a little bit more back into the rematch and so if you can go out there and you can beat him and you can really beat him decisively you know not one that's a you know if it's not as close as the first fight then yeah I do think that you get a little something from that I mean I think that's it's kind of a a a blessing for Johnny Hendricks that Robbie Lawler had to go out there and earn his way back and that was something when I was down at uh, American Top Team uh, this summer and I was talking to the coaches there and it was something that they kept bringing up when talking about Robbie Lawler that um, one of the things that they felt like you really had to respect about him getting this next shot at the, the welterweight title was that it wasn't any politics to it. That he didn't talk his way there. You know, he didn't kind of inflate uh, himself artificially to get another shot at the title. He, he worked his way back and no one could say that he didn't deserve it. Uh, and that is, I think, something that to the to fighters and to the people in the gym and stuff means a lot more that maybe the fans don't quite notice as much. And I think if, if you're Johnny Hendricks and you beat that guy now, that's why it means a little something more. We've talked about, I guess I opened the round by saying this kicks off kind of an, an important stretch for the UFC. Uh, they, it seems like the company itself, uh, partially out of simple serendipity of, of tr- starting to get people healthy, but partially, I think, out of... Uh, real conscious a conscious effort has i think taken pains to really stack the next few months uh with with awesome fight cards uh to maybe try to to shake off some of the rust of this past year and try to distance itself uh from criticisms that we've made on this show and other people have made uh in their own work about oversaturation and and the problem building new stars etc etc it seems like one of those new stars that uh you would like to see build would be a guy like Johnny Hendricks, who now is the uh, UFC welterweight champion. Um, who, who's the best guy to carry this belt into the 2015? A very important, uh, you know, uh, declare declarative year for the UFC. Really, uh, will will it be Johnny Hendricks, who's still an emerging talent, or would it be Robbie Lawler, this guy that most fans kind of know but might associate with uh, his, you know, a past where he didn't necessarily look all the time like a top. Flight fighter, you know, as far as really carrying the flag and, and helping out uh, as champion, there we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. Robbie Lawler used to be like a terrible interview. It used to be painful to have to try and interview Robbie Lawler. On one hand, because he seemed to clearly have a lot of disdain for you, the interviewer, and just the fact that he was being made to do this. I, I would say disdain for the process. Yeah. Um, but now he's very different now. He's gotten much, much better at it. Like he, I don't, I won't go so far as to say that he enjoys it, but you talk to him now and he will open up a little bit more and, uh, will actually treat you like he's willing to have a conversation with you a little bit more and give you some stuff that you can work with. And so before I would have said, man, that was, that would be the toughest thing about having Robbie Lawler as champ. I mean, here's the guy who would fall asleep at press conferences, literally fall asleep. And so, you know, that could present some certain challenges, but, 
he seems to have turned a corner in that regard. Maybe it'd be kind of awesome to have just the uh, the stone-faced badass who can still throw out a few quips for you as your champion. Yeah, I don't think you're in bad shape either direction that you go. Uh, when we have our end-of-the-year banquet where all, the entire UFC goes out for pizza uh, and we give out awards, I think Robbie Lawler is definitely, definitely going to win most improved in terms of uh, uh, his – as an interview. That's one of the awards they give out, right? Most yeah, improved interview. Yeah, yeah. After when we all go to, to, to Domino's or Godfather's Pizza. Yeah, we'll have to make him quit playing Street Fighter 2 long enough to come get his certificate. He won't be happy about that, but you know he'll thank us later. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. Uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. He's prepared to play a little Master Tweet Theater with us for the first time, uh, I think, in a few weeks since he's been out on assignment. Maybe we can get some uh, answers for him about about where exactly he's been. That starts right now. It's that time again. We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am thanked and giving. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear that you had a good holiday. I know that uh, it's kind of an important one for you. Isn't this when you uh, you round up all your old theater buddies and you guys uh, drink until you're, you're blacked out and, uh, I don't know, paint on each other's chests or something like that? Yes, it's true, except for the painting part. We paint oh. on each other's I distinctly remember the painting on the chest. You were very vivid about that last year. Uh, well, for those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel's going to read us off some tweets. We're going to try and guess the tweeters in question. Uh, is there a theme this week? Yes, sir, there is. The theme is giving thanks. All right. I guess. Sure. It's not over for me. I'm thankful for the whole month of November and also a couple more days. It's December 1st. So yes, okay. Yes, so I hear. <clears throat> Tweet the first. To all the women and men who have severed or continue to serve, thank you for doing what you do. Now, did you inject that pause in there, or is there like an actual ellipses? Sir, there are in fact two ellipses and one more period for a total of seven periods. Wait, <laughs> you know what? No, forget it. I'm not even going to pursue this line of questioning any further. Well, Chad, I don't know about you, but I hear military, and maybe some questionable syntax, and it feels like a Randy Couture to me. Yeah, I was actually going to go with the other Randy Couture. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path here, and uh, I'm going to go with Don Fry, because I saw him kind of making a return to Twitter, uh, mostly to talk about how he'd been hospitalized over the weekend. Oh, no, with what? Uh, I couldn't tell. Maybe like a heart attack or something? Oh no, he's okay now though. Um, but yeah, I know this probably isn't right, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go Don Fry here. So Nigel, both fine guesses, both supporters of the military, and both wrong. It is Dan Beast Severin. Oh, oh, the other Don Fry. A rare tweet. I feel like I was pretty close there. I feel like maybe I should get that one. You're not gonna get it, but you were pretty close. It might have helped if I had told you that "thank you" was in quotation marks for some <laughs> reason. Wow, that's weird. Is is. Is Dan Severn operating some next-level shit we don't know about over there on his Twitter? Unclear. Women and men are also both capitalized. Okay, all right. Why not? Mm. Tweet the second. Fact. The sentence, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, uses every letter in the alphabet. 
<laughs> You're welcome. Well, I like how you really did the laugh. I assume it says ha-ha there. It says ha-ha, but it is pronounced (laughs) You being a master theatricalist, I guess you had no choice there. I don't know, Chad. What are you feeling here? Uh, I guess I'm going to go Chael Sonnen because of the tagline. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's the name of his podcast. And that does seem like what would pass for wit to Chael Sonnen uh, or or interesting information. Um, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to take a flying, flying guess here and say poet Philip Brony. Hmm. Both fine guesses, both usual suspects. Again, wrong. It is Rich Franklin. God damn you. There's your Rich Franklin telling you about a QWERTY. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the third. <clears throat> Thanksgiving. That's it. <laughs> Come on, man. That's all it says, just Thanksgiving, November 30th. You want us to guess who Mm -hmm. who that was. Who would tweet Thanksgiving, possibly because he does not have time to type out happy. Wait, and and this was on November 30th? November 30th. Which was not Thanksgiving. I don't believe so. Several days after Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, Was was it written in all caps with lots of exclamation points? No, strangely, a capital T, but that's it. Thanksgiving. No period either. Well, I feel like we got rope-a-doped on the Rich Franklin one, don't you? Kind of? like A little bit. Uh, I guess I'm going to go Dana White here. I don't know. <laughs> All right. You're going to go Dana White. I'm going to go the other Dana White, Lorenzo Fertitta. Hmm. Both fine guesses. Both men too powerful to wish you a happy Thanksgiving on the day. And both wrong. It is Jake Shields. Huh. Thanksgiving. Okay, now I just had talked to Jake Shields about him being a lifelong vegetarian. Maybe, maybe he's fucking with us somehow because of this gluttonous American holiday. Well, that would, yeah, that maybe that's why he doesn't want to wish us a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, mm. he's he's kind of or or perhaps vegetarians celebrate a different Thanksgiving. Oh, like Canadians? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes, Boxing Day, I believe, is vegetarian <laughs> Canadian Thanksgiving. You know, well, I think this at least has given us all a lot to think about. Yes, yes. Perhaps too much. (laughs) Tweet the fourth. And you know I love me some Taco Bell. I'm going to hit Taco Bell today. I'm going to say Rampage Jackson. Wow, you're emphatic about that. Like, as if you know that that's right. I can hear his voice saying that. And you know he eats terribly. Yeah, okay. Um, boy. I guess I'm going to go poet Philip Baroni here. Not a bad guess. Hmm. Both fine guesses, both again wrong. It is King Mo. Oh, damn it. King Mo eating Taco Bell, possibly losing hope. Well, you know, I got to say I'm surprised at that one. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a King Mo move. Uh, Are we sure he wasn't hacked by Rampage Jackson? (laughs) We're getting skunked here, by the way. It is getting kind of ugly. And the... Fifth tweet will offer little hope. I can tell you that. This is an extremely challenging tweet. Um, and so I will award points either for the tweeter in question or for guessing the person to whom this tweet refers. Okay. <clears throat> he got me jelly belly princess beans. Love him so much. Smiley face. I'm going to say that is Megan O'Levy uh, talking about Joseph Benavidez, who she recently became engaged to. Huh, that's a good guess. Uh, uh, I have no idea. Um, I'm going to go Ariane Celeste 
O'Malley, Benchamol, <laughs> uh, Lopez, Estrada. Celeste here. But and, to, and who are you going to say she's tweeting to? Uh, Bruce Buffer. Okay. <laughs> Best fine guesses, at least one grounded in real deduction, and both wrong. It is Mindy Robinson, girlfriend of Randy Couture. Man, fuck you, Sir Nigel. <laughs> I know, extremely difficult, right? This but, is bullshit. So wait, you're following Mindy Robinson, whoever the hell that is? Uh, no, I'm following Randy Couture, who retweeted her. Because she loves him so much, smiley face. You know what? You're a you're a real piece of work. Mm-hmm. You guys were getting cocky, <laughs> like a couple of roosters. Well, I guess that does it. And I am thankful for that, for this edition of Master Tweet Theater. What else you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I just finished wrapping an exciting project about a French prisoner who develops new technology that allows him to fight crime. I see. And what's it called? Iron Man in the Iron Mask. And what role do you play? I play Dumas, sir, who does not appear in the film. (laughs) Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. disease in the corners of my mind and it longs for yesterdays that seem so hard to find see i cannot stop these well chad i know you didn't think that there was just one title fight at ufc 181 why would I think that? I don't know, but I know you didn't forget about your boy, pretty Tony Pettis, going straight from the barber shop to the cage to take on Gilbert Melendez for the UFC lightweight title. This seems like it's going to be a crackerjack, and also seems like, I don't know, I feel like maybe if we talk about it too much, we're going to jinx it, and pretty Tony Pettis is going to get hit with like an overhead coming out of the, uh, carry-on coming out of the overhead bin on his flight to Vegas or something. It still feels like he could get injured at any time. Yeah, you think we should just call this round short? Just say that we don't, we're done talking about it? I mean, I'd, I'd just, I'd hate for us to get blamed. <laughs> well, we're going to get blamed one way or another. Okay. Uh, you'd made a crack at the beginning of round number one about, uh, Johnny Hendricks and how long it seemed like he's been out and saying it seemed like he hasn't fought for two years, even though it's only been about eight, nine months. Uh, it seems like Anthony Pettis hasn't fought in about half a decade. Uh, because he's been out since he beat Ben Henderson for the title back in August of 2013. Um, and, and a guy that I think, uh, now either fairly or unfairly has the reputation as, as being injury prone. Uh, so I think that this is an important fight for Anthony Pettis. Um, coming off an entire season of the Ultimate Fighter where he served as a coach opposite Gilbert Melendez. Uh, I think this is an important fight for him to come out and kind of put his mark on the UFC lightweight title, uh, because I think we all look at him as a guy that has unbelievable potential. You know, he's still in his late twenties. Um, since coming over from the WEC, he's been dynamic and unpredictable and, and fun to watch. Uh, and I, I think if he comes out and, and can beat Gilbert Melendez, uh, that, that will be more likely to view him as, as a guy who belongs among the pound for pound best fighters in the world. Um, and as a guy who, who I think has to stay healthy. Um, but, uh, so I, I think there's a lot at stake for him, even though, um, of the two title fights right now, he's going off as the, you know, as the more prohibitive favorite. He's about, uh, two, two and two fifty. He's minus two fifty against Gilbert Melendez. Really? Uh, 
well, my, I guess you can get, you can get minus 240 if you want it, but, uh, uh, he's mostly a, a minus 250 favorite, uh, which is, you know, kind of says a lot, I guess, about the respect people have for him going up against a guy like Gilbert Melendez that for a long time we viewed as, as a guy who was maybe the uncrowned best lightweight in the world while he's over in strike force. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it surprised me to hear Anthony Pettis kind of talking beforehand saying how, you know, on one hand, he's upset that he's fighting Gilbert Melendez on his comeback fight because he didn't think it was going to last more than a round and he wanted to get a little more cage time in than that. Oh, yeah. Wow, I, I don't know if you saw that one. Uh, but, you know, I asked Gilbert Melendez about that and he was like, yeah, I just kind of have to laugh at that because I've never been finished. Uh, for one thing, for another, it seems like, uh, Conor McGregor plagiarism to me. Uh, <laughs> like he's just, he's kind of trying to get a little more attention that way. You know, that's to me the, the best thing Gilbert Melendez has going for him in this fight is that he is a guy who just doesn't really get finished and that you're probably in there for a pretty hard night of work against that guy. He also said, and I found this interesting, that he thought that the, why Anthony Pettis has been running through people lately is because, uh, people don't have an answer for his kicking game and they, they maybe beat themselves mentally before they get in there. And then once they get in there and the guy just starts kicking you and kicking you over and over again in the same spot like we saw him do to Benson Henderson. And people kind of get the deer in the headlights thing where they freeze and they don't know what to do about it. And so they just stand there and get fucking kicked, uh, which, you know, history will tell you is probably a bad strategy against anybody. And that he thinks that, you know, he does have an answer for that kind of thing. It, it makes you wonder, though, I mean, when I look at Anthony Pettis, I see a guy who's pretty damn good everywhere. I mean, that's a guy with a lot of skills and a guy who can really hurt you in a lot of different places. Where does Gilbert Melendez beat him? Yeah, it's hard to say. As, uh, you know, And that confidence that Anthony Pettis has right now is well-earned, I guess you would say. I don't know if he will finish Gilbert Melendez in the first round, but he's coming in off three consecutive first-round finishes, uh, including the, the one where he just beat the stuffing out of Donald Cerrone, and then the impressive armbar over uh, Benson, Benson Henderson to win the, the title. Um, but you ask a, an interesting question about Gilbert Melendez, since he is one of these guys... Uh, who has also always seemed like a, a like a hard nose and just well-rounded lightweight that for a lot of years when he was over in strike force kind of got the benefit of the doubt the same way Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez did when they were in Bellator uh and he he had kind of an epic trilogy against Josh Thompson and so we've always regarded Gilbert Melendez as one of the top lightweights in the world he comes in and has I guess what, if you're Dana White, you would call a typical Benson Henderson fight against Benson Henderson, uh, in April of, of last year, uh, loses a very close split decision that he, that he damn well could have won. Uh, but he is, he does kind of have his work cut out for him, I think, in this fight, uh, with Anthony Pettis, just because of what you said. Anthony Pettis has been so dynamic, uh, and is, is such an athletic lightweight and so, um, <clears throat> kind of physically imposing for the weight class. At the same time, though, uh, if you're Gilbert Melendez and you get to fight the champ after a year and a half absence where he's had to rehab from, from injuries, I think that might kind of play to your strengths a little bit because like he said, he has never been finished. And the thing that Gilbert Melendez is really good at doing is going out there and, and like grinding out victories, getting, getting people to kind of, uh, engage him in his kind of fight, a dirty, uh, slug fest that goes, that goes five rounds. And, and if that's what happens, I think that's really going to test Anthony Pettis's, uh, cardio and, and where he's at coming back after all that time off. Okay. That is, that is a decent point. Uh, I would also say that, you know, 
if it is a five round kind of grinding fight, that would be to Gilbert Melendez's strengths, not only because he's just kind of used to that, but also because a guy who is as flashy as Anthony Pettis is, uh, is going to take some risks and he's going to give you some opportunities there. And, you know, in, in doing that, he might give up a round or two here or there. But also, before we put too much emphasis on, hey, Anthony Pettis has been off for a long time, let's remember Gilbert Melendez's last fight was Diego Sanchez in October of 2013. So it's not like he has been a whole hell of a lot more active. He just, he hasn't suffered quite the, the same, like, injury setbacks that Anthony Pettis has, but it's not like he's been getting in there a whole hell of a lot either himself. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying that the the time off is necessarily equal just because of, you know, how many months it's been since you fought. Like, it de- does depend what you've been doing since then. But uh, I don't know. It's always tough to tell how that is going to play, especially when you're both coming off the damn reality show where you have to sit around in the warehouse in Vegas for, for three months. Right. And, then, you know, that time off and ring rust might be a thing that we make too big a deal out of sometimes. Um, and we'll just, I guess there's no way to know until Anthony Pettis gets in there. But uh, I'm glad you brought up the reality show because let's spend at least a couple minutes talking about that. Are you still on it? Because... Uh, I started out the Tough 20 season with a lot of excitement. I thought this was going to be a really good season. Uh, and then they took the couple weeks off during the baseball playoffs. And I got to be honest with you, I never really got back up on the horse because I felt like we were already starting to see the show kind of fall back into the repetitive traps, uh, the kind of uh, reality show stuff that, that it seems like it does every single season. And I just, I never put it all back together, man, after that break. You know, now that you mention it, I, I don't think I've watched one live since the, since I took that break. I mean, I'm still recording them and I'll still go back and watch the fights themselves. I mean, I think that that's still the difference for me here is that I, I know pretty much all the fighters. You know, those are all known names to me. So it's not like I'm having to learn, like, you remember the, the first season of the Ultimate Fighter when it would, they'd do the, the credits at the beginning and it'd be like, Mike S. <laughs> you know, like, you know, so they really were like giving you no help and trying to figure out who these people were if you didn't already know them. And I feel like that's the advantage for this season is that our, so many of these people, if you've been following MMA and women's MMA, then you already know who they are. And so they, when you hear, OK, here's the matchup on this night's show. Oh, OK, I want to see that. So you're going to go back up there and look it up. I also always wonder, though, and I think that that first Tisha Torres fight was a good example of it where you you never know exactly if what you're seeing on the reality show when they're fighting on like a Wednesday afternoon uh, in a warehouse in front of 20 people is going to be the same thing that you would see on fight night after a three-month camp uh, in, in the MGM Grand. Like it's always tough to, for me to tell what that reality show environment tells us about, you know, the fighters themselves and who's going to be good coming out of that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still interested in it, but no, I can't say that it had completely saved the just long, long-running format of tough because it's still the same show man they only know one way to do it well to that end hashtag the time is now dana white tells us in 2015 the ultimate fighter is going to be a whole new thing man yeah how would you rate your level of excitement between one and and fifty thousand? this is the same dana white who told us that they had a big announcement at that press conference right and it wasn't ready yet man this could be an unfair I mean, I'll be interested to see what this huge change they have to the Ultimate Fighter is. Yeah, I'll hopefully it's ready on time. Yeah. The time is now. Um, all right, Ben. Well, we're going to do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me Now at the end of, of round number two. Uh, we're going to do it a little bit different this week because since we missed uh, last week, we took last week off. Uh, what we're going to do. We took it off. Well, 
you also took it off, well, right? You didn't, of you. you didn't come over. I was forced over. Wait, to take it off. Did you come over to my house and do a show? I was sitting in my car out front for two Just hours. Just talking to yourself. Yeah. I believe that. And that would not necessarily set you apart from the rest of this neighborhood either. <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do here. I'm just going to run down all the are you fucking kidding me's that we didn't have the chance to are you fucking kidding me last week, and we're going to are you fucking kidding me them. Yeah, right? we got to get caught up somehow. Okay, uh, Rampage Jackson and Dana White decide they're bros after all. You're kidding me. Bobby Green thought he won his fight against Edson Barboza. You're fucking kidding me. A dude named Cuddly Bear fought in the UFC and on TV. Are you fucking kidding me? War Machine pled not guilty. It seems like he might actually go to trial. You fucking kidding me? John Jones thinks that Bill Cosby... Oh, this one's bad. John Jones thinks that Bill Cosby is too classy to be a rapist. Okay, that one is bad. And yeah. also, the part that you didn't mention there is after he said that, he went on to say that, like, well, Bill Cosby wouldn't have to rape anybody. Right, yeah. Uh, I was just, just so, I'm trying to do quick hitters over so here. So damn popular, which, uh, as a dude who just sat on a rape trial and then wrote a column for the local uh, independent paper about rape and everything... Let me tell you something, John Jones. This might blow your mind, but uh, in many instances, rape is not even about sex, bro. Just saying. Are you fucking kidding me, John Jones? All right, we'll move on. Uh, Mickey Rourke fought in a boxing match in Russia. That's one part of the are you fucking kidding me I to know, that. so just say it. Are you fucking kidding me? He won. Fucking kidding me? And maybe his opponent was a homeless guy that they paid to take a dive. Fucking kidding me. Uh, Josh Koscheck is coming back to fight Neil Magny fucking kidding me nick, shaking my head when i do that one nick diaz says that most fighters are on steroids fucking kidding me betch cohia says she'll punch ronda rousey's mole right off her face <sighs> joe bellator's joe vitapo was arrested for allegedly headbutting a police officer fucking kidding me women's bantamweight milana dudivia may have gotten married while wearing mma gloves fucking kidding me ben folks did a hashtag lifestyle piece about vegans and mma that was awesome. Fucking kidding me. <laughs> M&M uh, uh, M &M is 42 years old and still rapping about Ronda Rousey's butt. <laughs> fucking kidding me. Somebody stole Gegard Mousasi's car. Fucking kidding me. The young vagabond? How's he going to travel the earth, Chad? I guess he'll have to do it by foot. A oh. cane and kung fu. I hope this doesn't open up a whole new series of adventures for him as he hops trains and... Uh, what do they what meets do they, unlikely friends? Yeah. Forges unlikely bonds? Joins like the merchant marines or something? Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, I felt like a little bit we had to have this same discussion after uh, Frankie Edgar went out and, and just beat the crap out of BJ Penn uh, in July. And that, I guess, discussion is, oh, yeah, in case you forgot, Frankie Edgar is really good at fighting, uh, which is the, the overriding feeling I got while watching him uh, beat up Kevin Luke Swanson to the tune of, of five full rounds that he finished with a neck crank there just a few ticks before the final bell. Um, early on, it looked like Cub Swanson might have the edge in the striking game, but then Frankie Edgar started to work his takedowns a little bit, uh, started to find a home for for those kind of sneaky and, and quick combinations that he throws on the feet. Uh, and when all was said and done, uh, it seemed like Frankie Edgar had reasserted his dominance uh, now in the featherweight division where, can I say, he still looks small. 
by the way. You see him out there fighting Cub Swanson. It just looks like he's cut down a division. He still looks small. The man's a goddamn spark plug is what he is. That's what you're trying to say. I guess he is. He went out there and, and, and just spark plugged it. Just beat Cub Swanson, warm around like a button for most of that fight. You know, but here's the thing. I feel like you're going to run into this with Frankie Edgar trying to use this fight to to make his case for another fight with Jose Aldo. The way that he won it, you know, was by dominating with wrestling, basically, getting Cub Swanson to the mat, passing his guard, kind of dominating him there and, and feeding him elbows all night long until he got that neck crank. Which, by the way, I love a guy still going for the finish in the last 10 seconds. I love a guy going round. for a neck crank, period. Give well, me a neck crank, I'll be happy. And and those and that's the kind of neck crank. Well, you'll see guys do this in jiu-jitsu all the time where like, you know, their defense against a rear naked choke is basically just to bury their chin because they know you're not really going to neck crank them. You're friends, you know, and you're in the gym, but you do that in a fight with Frankie Edgar over some damn money and hell yes, he will neck crank your ass. Not really, that's not really the way you want to go with that. But I feel like beating Cub Swanson with wrestling is not going to convince people that we really need to see you against Jose Aldo again. Because you're not going to do that to Jose Aldo. I just don't think you are. I mean, I think that Frank Yeager is a good wrestler, has good wrestling for MMA, uh, good ground game, all that stuff. But we have seen Jose Aldo deal with that shit before, man. That guy has some of the best hips in all of MMA. As soon as, even if you get him down, he's popping right back up. It's like nothing I saw from Frank Yeager and what he was doing to Cub Swanson made me think, well, he'll just go in there and do this to Jose Aldo. Yeah, and I think that that is the problem you face if you are Frankie Edgar, especially since we've already seen him get in there with Jose Aldo, and they had a, a good and competitive fight uh, that was entertaining, but a clear-cut victory for Jose Aldo, and you're right to think that... Uh, I'm not sure that that we have any reason to believe at this point that a, that another fight uh, between Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo would go any differently. Although I would surely and gladly watch it because I feel like it it uh, is a joy to watch Frankie Edgar do what he does because he's so goddamn hard to keep up with that guy. Uh, he's so well rounded. His boxing is so good, and then obviously has has the takedowns. And I think you know, and it was hard to tell with the BJ Penn fight, obviously, because BJ Penn came in looking so weird. Um, but I thought that his top control and ground and pound against Cub Swanson looked a little bit more uh, uh, vicious and and uh, forceful than it has in a while. I don't know if he's uh, recommitted to that as 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 a you know a, a technique and and it wants to finish fights on the ground and stuff like that. But uh, I thought he looked pretty good in all in all facets for most of this fight. Um, is there anything you want to add to that before we talk about the elephant in the room, the the Irish, the bearded Irish elephant? Let's go ahead and talk about that Irish elephant because I think that you know if you're Frankie Edgar, here's where, and it seems like he's kind of edging that way, or was in his post fight comments where he seems to realize there's a very good chance you're going to get skipped over here. Uh, and I know that you don't you don't want to you don't think that Conor McGregor has earned that yet, and I still think that earn is a weird term to use in these kind of situations because we know the USC is trying to just sell tickets and pay-per-views but if you know say Conor McGregor go out, goes out there and smashes Dennis Seaver which he almost certainly will right and then the UFC says all right we're giving Conor McGregor the title shot I don't think it's necessarily bad news for you if you're Frankie Edgar I think it might be great news for you if you're Frankie Edgar in fact I would think like obviously did this I know that this doesn't work out this way in real life because anything could happen and if you're Frankie Edgar you want to take the title shot as soon as they want to give it to you uh but 
you know, from a competitive standpoint, I don't think there would be any harm at all in Frankie Edgar going home to read the newspaper and sit in his, his lazy boy recliner and let, and be like, okay, kid, have at, let Conor McGregor go out and take his shot against Jose Aldo. Uh, because if you're Frankie Edgar, best case scenario is probably that Conor McGregor somehow wins that fight. Maybe, yeah. If Conor McGregor goes out there and wins it, then you think like, all right, here's where my wrestling and all that, that, that stuff, that top game, now I can actually use that not only as a selling point to convince people that it'd be worth seeing, but also maybe to win the damn fight and get, get another UFC title. Yeah. And if you, even if it doesn't happen that way, right? Conor McGregor takes the shot. Uh, Frankie Edgar, he beats somebody else up. You know, maybe a Dennis Seaver type individual, <laughs> let's just say, for example. Uh, something like that. And you, you wait your turn a little bit and you let that kind of air of inevitability grow, right? Because if you think you can beat all those other featherweights anyway, why not? You know, you, you collect another paycheck in the meantime and you let maybe that, that simmering rage or that, that sense that like Frankie Edgar is getting screwed here because, you know, and it's something we've talked about before with the UFC brass's very close relationship with Conor McGregor, which still blows my mind the extent that they don't even bother to hide it. I think that that will, like, over time, I think people will, will come to see that as like, oh man, well, here we go. Teacher's pet is going to get his shot. Meanwhile, hardworking blue collar guy just clocking in and clocking out with his lunch pail every day. Frankie Edgar gets passed over. Ain't that, ain't that some shit? And yeah, if you're Frankie that's Edgar. That's you're... racist against Irish people. How? How is that racist? Against just calling Frankie Edgar a blue collar fighter and just ignoring Conor McGregor. Well, I mean, Frank Yeager was actually like in a in a goddamn pit, uh, laying uh, like plumbing pipes <laughs> before his uh, his pro debut. So I I'm think just he, teasing. I you. think we can go ahead and call him blue collar. But like, he might do well to let that that kind of build in his favor to where yeah. it seems like, hey, poor Frank Yeager is getting screwed, so that the UFC can throw their golden boy in there uh, and get the the title shot that they clearly set him up for. And then, you know, that'll get people, you know, the anti-Conor McGregor people, the people who don't want to see him get a shot yet, the Chad Dundas is out there, that'll get those people behind Frankie Edgar. Uh, then there you go. Either way it works out for you, whether Aldo wins or McGregor wins, you know, if you beat somebody else like uh, Ricardo Lamas or somebody uh, in the meantime, you're back in there. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, but like I said before, in the real world, I think we, we know that Frankie Edgar gets like poked in the eye by Max Holloway and has to <laughs> sit out five years or something while he, he gets some kind of dangerous and experimental eye surgery. Uh, and you know, I'm not going to argue with the, with, with Connor McGregor getting a shot at Jose Aldo at this point. Uh, certainly not if he goes out and beats the juggernaut that is Dennis Seaver. Uh, I'm just, I just kind of like to watch the best guys fight the best guys. And since I don't get a cut of the gate, uh, just feels like not the thing that I'm most interested in seeing. But yeah, but I I could see that argument more if we had reason to believe that like Conor McGregor secretly sucked. But we don't. I mean, right. he has looked really good. He has looked good against his hand-picked opponents. We'll see how he does <laughs> against the best in the world. Maybe, hey, how about this? What if Dennis Seaver comes out there, Conor McGregor comes out of his corner in his yoga horse stance, uh and and Dennis Seaver like spin kicks him in the face and and that's... he's more into the spin kick to the body. Okay, maybe he catches him him crouching down. Shooting, I'm trying to <laughs> okay. try, I'm trying to make a a conspicuable path to victory to here for he for can... for Dennis Seaver. Uh, what if uh, what if he knocks him out? Then what do we do? Then Frankie Edgar's in, or or the yes. juggernaut that is Dennis Seaver gets to fight Jose. Alba. I think the juggernaut that is Dennis Seaver might have to win another one after that. We all know that's not going to happen, though. Conor McGregor will probably uh, 
I'm probably knock Dennis Seaver out with a straight left hand, I would think, since that's how he does. Uh, and he, then we'll, he'll, he'll, or I, you know what? If he fights Jose Aldo after that, I'm not going to have a problem with it. I just, you know, it's, we tease the guy because it's fun, I guess. Oh, I'm just concerned about what happened to the juggernaut Dennis Seaver at that point. <laughs> All right. Um, well, anything you want to say about, well, we didn't even talk about, uh, Cubby Sampson. Kevin Luke Swanson, uh, he's he. We could spend at least a minute talking about him. He he obviously comes up short here against Frankie Edgar, but like uh, he's the kind of guy that I'm not sure we've quite heard the last from. He's 31 years old. He's got a he's got a couple years left. Uh, kind of looked good in the stand up in the early going against Frankie Edgar. Is can he put it back together and and uh, you know reassert himself in this division or uh the spoiling of his tremendous win streak did that kind of spell the end of his time among the elites you know i'm not prepared to say that uh you lose to frankie edgar and you should call it a career or anything like that who knows what could happen there for him uh i do think that uh it definitely exposed some major holes in his game that he's got to fix if he wants to to be among the elites again at featherweight because everybody else saw that man everybody saw a, a pretty clear path to victory against you if they can pull off the the same shit that frank yeager did you got to address that if you're cubby sampson uh but uh you know a tough guy like that with uh, the the skills that he has who knows if, if you want to if you if you feel like you can hang around and you have enough time left in you uh and you know you don't feel like you have too many miles on you i could see building back up and making a run back at it all right, well, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. Uh, this week, recent events made it clear that what we have always suspected slash feared was true all along. Vanderlei Silva obviously never, ever had any idea what was in his UFC contract. However, this week, Ben, I'm just saying, who would have thought that this aging, mustachioed, disgraced version of Vanderlei Silva would turn into MMA's answer to Cesar Chavez. I don't know if you saw his latest blog post oh, video yes. Yes, with, I the, did. with the black and white and the super troopers mustache. Uh, uh, and you know, obviously I know that he is a guy who makes for a fairly damaged messenger at this point. Uh, but if you're able to look past the baggage, past the drug test dodging and past the preemptive retirement, and, uh, you can perhaps disregard the idea that, uh, he had a dis, he didn't fully read any of the document, legal documents that he signed his name to. Though. He's got a guy for that, like pretty Tony. Really, if he did read them and he had some problem with them, I don't know what he would have done, not signed it. Uh, if you can look past all that stuff, uh, I think he's right about some of the stuff he's saying. And, and obviously the UFC is, is contractually well within its rights to quash his recent appearance at an autograph signing for Bellator. But that doesn't take away from the fact that maybe those contractual rights are at least in part kind of fucked up. And at some point we have to, we have to find a limit to how little we can pay these guys and how much of their lives we can own. I'm just saying. Just saying. And by we, you mean the UFC. Yeah, if we own parts of their lives, oh man, we never <laughs> we'd do this show. Yeah, that much. <laughs> never talk to any of you again. <laughs> uh, well, Chad, I'm just saying. Sunday night, Eve Edwards announced his retirement from MMA at age 38. About 66 professional fights in the books for Eve Edwards, and that's just the ones that they counted. That doesn't even count some of the early ones in the late 90s when he was fighting in gyms and shit like that. Uh, now 
I know that the shit people say about Eve Edwards, I mean, if you were watching back in the days of VHS tapes and when the UFC wasn't sure if wanted to do a lightweight division or not, then you might remember when for a little brief time there it seemed like Eve Edwards was the uncrowned champ of the UFC's lightweight class. And if you came to the sport after that, especially after, you know, maybe the initial Ultimate Fighter season blew up or even after that when Brock Lesnar showed you that there was something close to pro wrestling that was maybe even a little bit better. Maybe you don't really know who Eve Edwards is other than as a guy who kept showing up in the UFC and seemed to lose more than he won, and but some reason people liked him. I'm just saying you got to appreciate where Eve Edwards came from in this sport starting in 1997 and what he did before it got to this point. There was a time back in those days when we looked at Eve Edwards and thought, wait a minute, there's a guy who is not some kickboxer who learned to sprawl or some wrestler who learned how to throw one single left hook at a time. This was a guy who was a complete fighter, seemed to do it all, and on top of that, was just an awesome dude. If you talk to all the media people, you'll find that while everybody has their list of their favorite fighters, and they also had their list of their favorite people, Eve Edwards is always on that favorite people list for anybody who knows him. As for a reason, Z's just a good person all the way around. I'm just saying, Eve Edwards, we're lo- MMA is losing one of its good guys here. And at the same time, I'm glad to see him going out on, on terms that he decided on when he was ready. Just saying. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at this weekend's UFC 181. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So wait, if we own a percentage of Vanderlei Silver, and we then reinvest our percentage in Cubby Sampson's Bar and Grill, uh-huh, uh-huh. you feel where I'm going? I'm listening. I'm listening. I got some money to, to invest. Maybe we open up a new location in the mall food court. Uh-huh. Cubby Sampson's at the mall. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Just all of the the, uh, the friendly atmosphere and, and appetizer specials that you know at the original Cubby Sampson's in a mall.